calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. You can try to throw us away, but we always come back. It's episode 458 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and yep, the final season of The Flash is airing right now on the CW, been enjoying it so far. So that'd be a good time to get on one of the rogues that we're seeing this season, Captain Boomerang. Richard Harmon himself going to be on the show this week to talk about playing Captain Boomerang and what's going on with the rogues gallery and Red Death. And some behind-the-scenes stuff as well, too, that I think you're really, really going to enjoy. So super excited to talk to Richard Harmon this week. Also, of course, going to give you my review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Going to be dropping spoilers, so be prepared for that. Also going to talk about the new Prime Video series, The Consultant, which is still creeping me out. I've still got my skin still crawling from watching those episodes. Nerd News is back, too, this week. Got some news on Marvel Studios, a big casting there. Warner Brothers Discovery added again, this time with Lord of the Rings. And a very popular comic book series being adapted. And going to talk about a couple of trailers as well. Also, make sure if you're not following us on TikTok yet, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok, we're going to start doing TikTok lives over there. Going to be having a lot of fun, an extension of the podcast. Hopefully, you can join. And this is going to be very unfiltered fun, too, by the way. So just be ready for that, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. I'll definitely hope that I can see you over there. But let's get going. Let's talk to Richard Harmon about the final season of The Flash playing Captain Boomerang. He's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is the final season of The Flash, and while that is very sad, it does mean we get some really cool things happening, and one of them was this guy joining the show as Captain Boomerang, and boy, was I so excited to hear Richard Harmon was going to be a part of this thing. Richard, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic today. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, I guess it's this kind of a welcome back to the DC Universe for you, because actually, you had a small part. In an episode of Smallville in season eight, did you ever think you'd be back? Gaunt teenage addict, as I recall. <laughs> That's exactly what I it was. was. I was I was probably seventeen years old. I, I you know I was hoping I'd be back. I, I didn't know it would be. Oh God, 
14 years later when I was 31, but I, I'm glad that it came back in, in the incarceration that it did with Captain Boomerang, which I had just so much fun playing. Were, were you a DC guy growing up a little bit? I was never much of a comic book guy. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to be honest, I had so many friends that were, I was, I played a lot of Warhammer. That was, that was my thing. Well, they, that, that was your gateway then. Okay. That was my, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was doing Lord of the Rings Warhammer. When you actually, when you get the role, does, is this one of the things where you, we kind of do a deep dive to, to get into the character or do you kind of go in and be like, I want to try and do something different with this? I definitely wanted to do something different. I, cause I didn't know. Here's kind of how it went down. I was unaware when I auditioned for the role that it was Captain Boomerang. I had no idea. So when I when I booked it, I, I was under the impression that I was playing someone by the name of Razor, which was what the 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 audition sides had of, said. Of course, that's what it would be in the notes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So you know, and that was I just had a ton of fun with that audition. And so when I booked it, and it was Captain Boomerang. I was like, oh god, do I change things? And I kind of reached out to them. And sort of inquired if there was anything different I needed to do, considering that it was Captain Boomerang. And their response to that was that I should just, they want me to do exactly what I did in the audition, playing whoever I thought Razor was. So that's kind of how that went down. And I was glad about that. And went like, yeah, I, I kind of know that he's been played before in different versions of him. And they, they gave me a lot of comfort because there's a bit of a fear in that of, of misrepresenting a character that obviously people know so well and they made me feel very comfortable with taking the risks and sort of just playing him a little bit different and and just having fun with him which was really really as an actor i mean that's really all you can ever want out of the out of your bosses on a show and they they really gave me the freedom to kind of go and do what i wanted with it which was tons of fun and you absolutely did that too man to it to very well so far from what we've seen so we Thanks. know who captain boomerang is we know who razor is who's owen mercer owen mercer i mean that's the other thing is trying to figure out who kind of this version of owen mercer is and the way he was described to me was i think originally i think they might have wanted someone just a little bit bigger was kind of what they had told me but then when they saw me they they decided to go a different way with it so we kind of played him like he was just this guy that had just gotten the crap kicked out of him in prison for years and you know he was just the lowest level of the totem pole and now he's been funded by this much uh, more wealthy sort of backer than he is and he's finally got the technology to be the the big bad guy on the block and he just relishes the opportunity to not only get his ass kicked anymore actually do some ass kicking and that's sort of how we played Owen in in this sort of version of him. I think we could talk about it now because it's it's been out there for a little bit. I think we could talk about Red Death a little bit. How much can we tease yes. about that relationship other than it just is it just a mercenary thing? Or are we gonna find out maybe there's a little bit more going on there? I think to the for the most part, it is just a mercenary thing that the Red Death is is using Owen and and some of these other rogues to to do their bidding. Yeah. So we actually got a look at that Red Death suit for the first time. In episode yes. two, how incredible was it to see that thing for the first time in person? Because on screen, I'm like, whoa, yeah, it's super cool. I mean, in person, all I could think about was like, man, that must be uncomfortable. <laughs> like, can, can you see out of that? I don't think that they could very well. <laughs> and then Owen's over here. You don't you can't see him, but he's, he's over this way and me being like, hi, I swear I would strut in my Captain Boomerang get up and be like, Oh, I'm so comfortable. Yes. And like, that's the thing is that the Captain Boomerang getup is so comfortable. It's just like, a, it's a tailor-made jacket. And like, there was a little, little chilly. And like, luckily I have a scarf. 
I want to thank you guys for making that cosplay possibility so much easier in the future. For everybody. I if if the day comes where I get to see somebody come in as as Captain Boomerang when I'm at a convention or something, that'll make me very happy. And I'm I was really glad to see that they were doing something that was so accurate to the comics of what oh, yeah. Captain Boomerang wore, which was super cool to me to actually be able to play him and, and kind of look like him in a way, which was very cool. Is that the cool thing for you that you, you talk about going to cons and things like that? When you get a role like this, is it is it a little bit cooler than some other things? Because you're like, OK, when I once you're Captain Boomerang, you're Captain Boomerang for life in the eyes of certain fans. How cool is that? It's insanely cool. And it's also very it's, it was a little, little bit stressful at the same token. <laughs> of like, course. I know that you and I have discussed a previous show of mine when I was on the hundred and was doing that and like that. John Murphy wasn't even in the books of the hundred. So that character was so fully me. And like, there was no, no one could ever get mad at me making John Murphy. However, I wanted to make him because there is no John Murphy until there was Richard Harmon playing John Murphy. So that was, that was a lot more open. So then when you're playing someone like Captain Boomerang, that people have thoughts in their head about the mm -hmm. way that uh, he should be and the way that he should be portrayed, which I completely understand. And I can completely understand if, if like my version of him is not for everybody. Like I could completely understand that, but, but I'm really grateful for the openness that seemingly that the, the fans of the flash have brought to me. And, and like a lot of them really were very complimentary of it, but I also understand the other, the other way of that too. And I'm, it was just nice to get the chance to play. No doubt about that. Really quickly. I want to take a little bit of a side note on that because the 100 fans there, that is a very loyal and ve still very active fan base and, and if you look at the comments on this guy's social media all these hundred fans saying oh i didn't know you were gonna be on the flash now i'm gonna have to start watching the flash how cool is that for you that that they're still hanging on and, and they're coming to the flash because they see that you're attached to this project i mean that's gonna be amazing for you i'm incredibly grateful for it i wouldn't have my the apartment that i live i wouldn't i wouldn't have the life that i have without the hundred so it's, it's something that i'm still to this day and to the fans incredibly grateful for that they're still sticking around Talking to Richard Harmon, who plays Captain Boomerang on The Flash, which you can watch every Wednesday night on The CW. Richard, now that the Fiddler's in the mix, it looks like we're going to get kind of a bit of a rogue squad going on here. So th this is something the Flash fans have been waiting for for a while on the show, myself included. So how much fun was it to kind of be a part of a team of villains and be the first one to kind of kick that off this season? It was to be the first one. I that That's exactly what I was going to bring up. Like to be the first one was a very cool thing. Though, like the first episode of the season, it was... Before you even know Red Death is a thing, it's like Captain Boomerang's the first one that you mm -hmm. see as the first obstacle that you think like, oh, maybe he's just going to be someone that the Flash just knocks down and moving on to the next villain. But to stick around, kind of get the better of Flash, and just, I wouldn't say get the better of him, but like kind of end in a stalemate between it the kinda two. kind of did, though, a little I bit. I got the better of him at least twice. So yeah. <laughs> Timelines, <laughs> like the, repeat, the repetition. Sorry, Grant. Yeah. So I think that's... Very cool to be the first one and to be part of the group. Like I said, because me not knowing, not being a massive comic book guy growing up, for the the showrunners and everyone, the writers and everything to kind of like made it very clear to us how important this is and this group is and what that forces without any spoilers, what the Flash has to do to kind of combat the numbers game of us versus him. Absolutely. So this is the final season for a cast that's been doing this for, for quite a few years now. What was it like working with all of them? And how was it to kind of walk in? You're, you're the new kid on the block in the final season of a very much beloved show that people have been working on for a long time. 
Yes. I mean, it was so welcoming. I'll say that. Like for my first day was all with Grant and doing doing the the battle between him and me three different ways. And that was my first day. It was just an all day affair. And Grant was so welcoming and so awesome. Like there's a reason why a show can go nine seasons and not many can. And you have to have a great leader for a cast. And and he embodies what it is to be a good number one. He really does. I can't, I can't say enough good things about him. Oh, I can absolutely agree with that, too. As a matter of fact, speaking of this cast, I've been around them enough to know they're a fun bunch. They're a very musical yeah. bunch, too, by the way. So do you have any fun stories from when the cameras weren't rolling that you can kind of share with us a little bit? Oh, boy. I mean, I was so focused on just trying to not mess up Captain Boomerang. <laughs> but there were so many fun, fun moments. I think some of the most fun moments is just was just Grant and I sitting there with like him with the just eating like pasta with the with the flash suit fully on like like and the like the, the mask and everything and just eating pasta on the side of the road in the middle of Vancouver those were sort of surreal comical moments for me and then i have a few photos that crew members took of the two of us that i think are pretty funny and i think maybe when the whole thing's wrapped up i can maybe post some of those for people to see behind the scenes a little bit nice got a little something to look forward to i love that yeah. it, it makes me wonder though because i can i can imagine that at some point grant's going to drop something on that suit while he's eating what's the protocol when you're like you're in the flash suit you, you the bow tie pasta falls on the flash logo is this is it a fire drill is, is there bad there are bad things have you seen something like this happen that's why they only they only serve the red the red sauce <laughs> That said, it's tomato based, everything, everything, lunch, tomato based, everything red. That's all it is. That's all we eat on just the flat. Just a different shade, just in case. Yeah, well, the, that's then, it. then you're wearing your, your blue trench coat and then you're you're in trouble. True, but that trench coat is easy to I'm a professional, you know. Of I'm not you are. Of course but so is Grant. I don't I don't I never saw the man drop anything on his suit. <laughs> how how cool was that look for you? You talked about it being a, a practical look close to the comics. How cool was that look for you? For the Captain Boomerang suit because it was very comics accurate and the boomerangs themselves where it was that cool to just you know you just kind of open up the trench coat and you're like hey what's yeah up? jingle jangle I mean like we had to do quite a bit of ADR to to fix because sometimes the, the boomerangs would just clang or we would just be in the middle of a take and a boomerang would just fall out onto the floor and I'd be like <laughs> of course uh, a boomerang down we just need to take it back to the top on this that happened a lot was that boomerangs would just start falling out because I had like 25 on me at any given time and they're they're secure, but they're not that secure. So they would just start falling and like ding 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 ding, just falling all over the ground. If I'm like doing a fight scene and I'm punching, and then it's just boomerangs all over the ground. <laughs> kind of can't drop can't those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't have that. I know that you said that you were nervous, and there's there's so much great writing that happens on the show, and always has been. Did you they're get a so chance? Lovely to the writers. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely. I'm sure they are. So. I know that, you know, Captain Boomerang, he's known for his zingers. Did you kind of get to throw in a couple of ad libs there as well? Or did you kind of, were you too nervous? To, oh, you did. Okay. I did throw in quite a few ad libs and they were really, really welcoming to allow, to allow it. The one that I'm sad didn't make it in was in the first episode when they, after the, not him and his wife knocked me down and I'm getting up from behind the car and kind of in pain. And I was going up to them and I was just looking at it. And I, was, I was like, power couple. Nice. And I wanted to keep the power couple thing. And I was like, power couple, very cute. I like that. And I was like, damn it. See, now everybody knows what could have been. Kept some other ones, which was really cool. I'm trying to recall which. That's the thing is that they did such a good job writing that it became so evident to me what the ad libs would be. 
And that's on them is making it so clear and evident what this character's like with those zingers. Mm -hmm. When I ad libbed things, it at this point, I don't even remember what was mine and what was theirs because they did such a good job of making it clear what he would say, mm -hmm. what type of person he is, which was really, really that's when you're ad libbing, that's incredibly helpful. And you had to pick up on that, though, and that's where the team aspect and the trust comes in, though, I can imagine. That's what it's all about. There you go. There you go. Before I let you go, Richard, I know that you've barely scratched the surface of what we're going to see this season on The Flash. How excited are you for fans to see what's coming? And would you love to revisit this character at some point? I would absolutely love to revisit this character. He was so much fun for me. I, I want one day for people to see the the audition tape, actually, for him, because that's Ooh. a lot of fun. And that was too much ad-libbing. Yeah, that, that's like <laughs> bring it back. But I mean, they got me the role, so that's good. I'm very excited for myself personally to see because I don't even know everything of what happens on this season. And I'm curious myself to see where they're going and how they're going to wrap up this beautiful story they've been telling for nine years. And I was just grateful to be a part of it for, for my little bit of time. See, and if you don't even know where it's going, that means it's going to be really exciting because, I mean, that means they kept things really secretive. Oh, they did. too. You're not going to get any spoilers getting out on this season. We can tell you that, and especially not from us. Season nine of The Flash airing every Wednesday on the CW and you I mean I'm just having so much fun watching this guy can't wait to see more Richard Harmon thanks so much for the time man I really appreciate it thank you so much for having me and like Richard said we've seen so many versions of Captain Boomerang especially lately it seems like whether it be on TV or in the movies and I just love how how fun this version of Captain Boomerang is and how he's just kind of I don't want to say laid back but there's just an easiness about him and just watching how Richard dives into this role has just been really, really cool through these first few episodes. And this group just seems to be getting stronger and stronger as the episodes go on. And I cannot wait to see where the rest of the season is going. And it's been a good one so far in these first few episodes. The Flash every Wednesday night on the CW and next day, by the way, on the CW app as well. Thanks to Richard Harmon once again for joining me to talk some Captain Boomerang and The Flash this week, up next, it's time to dive into the quantum realm, my spoiler-filled review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I'll get that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, listeners, this is Peter Shinkoda from Daredevil. I play Noble, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Quantum Realm, here we come. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has been out for about a week now, maybe a little bit more depending on when you're listening to this. So that means we are fair game doing spoilers on this review for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania. I want to address something right off the bat. First of all, I'm not going to get into, I'm not going to spoil the ending. I won't do that for you because I just don't think that that's fair. Maybe we'll talk about the end credit scenes though. So maybe we might have to spoil the ending a little bit, but I want to get this out of the way right now is for the, and this is for the whole, you know, this is Marvel star Wars sort of thing. I want to just jump in and give my opinion and say, I don't get that. I really don't get it. I mean, were there certain Star Wars vibes to this? Yeah, there kind of were. There's a rebellion, okay? That's, that's one thing that maybe you could connect. You know, visually, maybe you could see how they could get, how you could see this, this might maybe looks like Star Wars. The music certainly sounded like Star Wars. If you listen to the score, it was very Star Wars-esque to me. Was it dead on? Of course it wasn't dead on. But at the same time, I definitely got the Star Wars vibes. Even if I hadn't heard that before I watched the movie, I would have thought that going in. Does Kang give off a little bit of Vader vibes? Maybe even Palpatine? You want to take it that far? I mean, yeah, completely no. But the, the vibes are certainly there. I think that's why people are making that connection. But the, there's really no 
link enough to me to make me say, yeah, you know what, this was Marvel Star Wars. Plus, this had us a smack in the face to Star Wars because this movie was nowhere near on the level of Star Wars. And when you're kicking off Phase 5, you want to have a really strong start. And to me, there were good things about this movie and there are bad things about this movie. And one of the things that I kind of didn't like was how Kang's supposed to be the big villain going forward, right? And everybody wondered going into this, okay, so it's going to be Ant-Man. I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp and the whole, you know, the the Pym family and everybody like that coming in and and going up against Kang. How is it that Ant-Man is going to be able to stand up against the big bad by himself going forward? That was the question that I had. Now, did it kind of make sense, you know, how, you know, the, the overwhelming odds and all of that of the rebellion and all these things? Okay, maybe that makes sense. There is a final fight at the end. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen the movie. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's a little bit of an element of surprise there. Okay, so maybe we're going to have to spoil the ending a little bit. Not completely, but a little bit. So I thought that it was an interesting choice to have them win this battle against Kang. Now, it was one of those things where I was kind of, I kind of thought it might be an instance where, okay, he gets away. And does he? I mean, you could make the argument that he does based on the first end credit scene or med credit scene or whatever you want to call it. You could make the argument that he does technically get away. But for somebody who claims to have seen the end, seeing how everything goes, this is how you thought it was going to go? Because it didn't look like you thought this is how you thought it was going to go. Looked like it really went to hell really quickly is what it looked like. So there were a lot of contradictions. You, you built Kang up to be this completely conquerous, just, is that a word? It is now. You, you built him up so much, and then you kind of brought him down really, really quickly in the end of this movie, I thought. As a matter of fact, when he's got Cassie and Scott in those holding cells, and he's whipping them around, again, like Vader, kind of, you know, shoving them up against walls, you know, crushing Cassie's bones, things like that, just with a twist of his wrist. And I'm thinking, damn, you know, this is this is serious business. Okay, now, this, this I don't know how they're going to get out of this sort of thing. And then at the end, it's like he forgets he has that ability. He doesn't really use that against Scott and against Hope, quite frankly. He doesn't use it against either one of them. Now, in the heat of battle, can stuff go wrong? Yeah, but he's painted as a super intelligent conqueror who, again, supposedly has seen how things play out. So why on earth would he do that? And he even says, you know, if, if I die, you're, you're not going to be able to stop what's coming or, or you're, you're going to need me to stop what's coming. OK, maybe we know what that is. Maybe we don't know what that is at this point. Maybe that's been teased again in the end credit scenes. But it just seems like an odd choice that he would just choose this fate for himself I don't think, and you could see in his eyes, this is not like he planned it. If this was a planned action of Kang losing this battle, don't you think he'd have that wry villain smile in that in those final moments where he perishes? He'd like to, ha, ah, you know, I tried to tell you, and now I'm gone so long, suckers. No, he didn't. He was completely shocked and angry, and it was all of the things you would be if you lost and you weren't expecting to lose. So they built that up to me only to tear it down. That doesn't mean that Kang won't be powerful going forward, but I just thought that was a very, very interesting choice that they made. I do want to address one thing, though, that I thought was kind of unfair 
about a criti- some criticisms that I've heard about this movie, and that is Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet Van Dyne and the whole, okay, she was in the quantum realm, now we know why she didn't want to talk about it. You know, she made some very, very questionable decisions while she was down there, kind of unleashed Kang on the quantum realm in the first place, and that's why all these people were murdered, suppressed, things like that. So here's the deal, though, and then I've seen people say, well, if she'd have just told them from the beginning, they could have saved a lot of grief. Maybe, maybe that's true, but that's not necessarily how trauma works. Now, everybody's trauma is different. I'm not trying to say this is a universal truth, so don't come at me for that, okay? What I'm saying is is that her trauma wasn't just being stuck in the quantum, quantum realm and for as long as she was. Her trauma was also what she ended up eventually doing in not only unleashing Kang, but leaving him there and not helping. Now, she did try to help in the beginning. But ultimately, she did leave. And you can't really blame her for leaving, right? But she has to live with the trauma of leaving the quantum realm in that state. And for her part in it, I guess you could say. And that's cer- certainly a lot of people down there blame her for that. That's trauma as well. So you get double the trauma. And maybe she's just not ready to talk about it. Because that's just how trauma works. When you're ready to talk about it. You talk about it. Again, not universally true, but most of the time. So to say that she should have just spoke up, I think is an unfair criticism of this movie. So I kind of get why she didn't. And now, was she very helpful after the fact? Yeah, she was very helpful. And without her, I'm not sure they get to where they go. This was certainly a group effort. I'm not trying to say that Ant-Man and Hope, that Scott and Hope did this by themselves. They didn't. Cassie also factors in to this thing as well. But I thought that that was a very very harsh criticism of, of Janet's character. And I actually thought that Michelle Pfeiffer did a great job, but the best job in this whole movie acting wise with Jonathan majors, he just slays it as Kang. He, he was built up so much. And part of this is the writing too. You got to credit the writers and the director for this Peyton Reed. He, they built him up so much. They made him seem so powerful in a in short order too, by the way, they, they kind of didn't build this up too much before this. We've seen him, in, in, in He Who Remains role, but we hadn't seen him as the complete badass we saw him in this movie. And it really, really shined through, and I thought that he was the gem of this entire movie for sure. Paul Rudd was as charming as he usually is. I thought that, you know, Hope's character was okay. I thought the ca- that Cassie was really good. I thought the dynamic between Cassie and Scott was fantastic. Now, she's disappointed in him because he doesn't really want to help out as much. You know, he's not the Avenger that he was, but you have to understand that he never got to be a dad. He wants to be a dad so badly, and he feels like he's already saved the world. Now it's his time to be a dad. And if you're not a parent, it's hard to grasp that. Okay, especially if you're a parent that doesn't get to see their kids all the time, and it's hard to compare real life to something like this because you know we're not we're not Avengers, right? But at the same time, if you're a dad or a parent of any kind. And you just want to be a parent. You don't want... And if you get that opportunity and you don't necessarily feel like you want to do anything else because maybe you weren't there, I can you can understand why he would kind of put everything else on a shelf, at least for a little bit. But she wants him to, you know, to always be helping. And now she's kind of getting arrested for trying to help people and things like that. So that, that dynamic, I thought, again, was a little bit unfair at times and, and kind of annoyed me. A little bit, but then of course you see him step up and be that hero figure that she sees and she really wants him 
to be. And he never blames her for this whole mess. She kind of gets blamed by Janet in the beginning, but Hank and Scott specifically do not blame Cassie for this. And you can blame Cassie for the whole thing. Actually, she's the one that sent the signal down, all that stuff. But they don't blame her. And I thought that was also a really smart decision writing-wise was to not twist the knife deeper for Cassie's guilt. And it kind of allowed the movie to get past that quickly and focus more on the story, which I thought, again, was very, very smart. I thought that you want to talk about Modoc. I'll talk about Modoc real quick before I wrap this up. Yeah, he was an idiot. Let's just let's just put it out there. Modoc was a complete idiot, not a complete waste of time. But they paint him as an idiot. Yet he was the one that found the signal and was able to, you know, engineer some of this stuff to happen in the first place. So is he an idiot or is he not? That's what we're trying to figure out. And the callback to the first Ant Man movie that was that was funny, I guess. But that kind of stopped being funny throughout most of the movie. And using Modoc as the comic relief, I understand why you do that, but it didn't really work for me. In a lot of spots, I thought actually the funny moments, more of them happen with Paul Rudd and with Cassie than they did with anybody else, really. So using Modoc in that role, and, and don't be mad at for making for them making that character a joke, quite frankly, because I always thought Modoc was a weird character anyway. And I know we almost kind of got Modoc earlier on in this whole MCU phase. I think it was like phase was it phase one, end of phase one or phase beginning of phase two. Correct me on that, and I'm, I'm sure you will. In, in the comments or on, on social media or something. We almost got a MODOK before, didn't quite get one here. And I don't think this is a character we need to revisit, quite frankly. I mean, I think that we're done with MODOK. This was the one shot that they had, and this was the movie that he made sense. This this made sense. This made sense to fit him in to this particular movie. It didn't seem to make sense before. Now it did, and now we're kind of done with it, I think. And I, I don't think this is a character we'll see again. Overall, though, I thought this was a middle-of-the-road movie. Is it kind of not great to start off your fifth phase in the middle of the road movie? I guess. I mean, there's a lot to look forward to. We certainly set up season two of Loki with the second end credit scene, which I guess I won't spoil that since I've already spoiled most of the ending in this review, but I've warned you. So I think that there were necessary things they did here to set things up, but I also thought that they set an interesting precedent. I don't want to quite say dangerous. They set an interesting precedent with Kang going forward, and was this not the most powerful version of Kang like we thought it was? Maybe that is the the twist or the bait and switch that we're going to have later on in this thing, is maybe that wasn't the most powerful version of Kang, and the Conqueror will rise again. So if this, would I watch this movie again? Yeah, I'd watch it again. Would Am I just knocking down doors to watch it again? No, I'm not. So the, the humor didn't land as much as I would have liked, it, this was a more serious Ant-Man movie. I thought there were some decent performances, but nothing that really blew me away outside of Jonathan Majors. So this is one that I don't know I'll remember a ton of details from even next year, quite frankly. So Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, just okay for me. If you loved it, I could see why you'd love it. If you hated it, you certainly have a couple of reasons that you could do that. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Up next... Going to talk about the new Amazon series, The Consultant. Let's dive in to the world of mobile gaming. We'll do that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jay Taylor from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Prime Video just debuted a show that might get you to start working on your resume. The Consultant is now streaming on Prime Video. I want to give a spoiler-free review of this thing because it just kicked off, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Yes, this is based on the novel by Bentley Little that came out in 2015, and I'll be honest, I didn't read the novel, so I can't tell you kind of, you know, the book versus show kind of thing. I could just go based on what the show's about. So if you don't know, it, it follows a character named Regis Patoff, who was hired by a business to, it's an app-based company called Compware, and he's supposed to, you know, kind of improve every aspect of the business, right? So he's kind of like almost, not not quite like a headhunter, but almost like somebody that's come in, supposed to just come in and improve everything. Now, how he gets into this position and what happens to the owner of the company is something that happens in the first episode, and it's pretty pretty shocking. That much I can tell you. I won't tell you what happens. But just to say that Regis Patoff is an eccentric human being is an understatement to the word eccentric. Christopher Waltz, who plays this character, just enters a new realm as far as I'm concerned. Now, this isn't the first time that Christopher Waltz has played a character that's a little bit left of center. But this guy is so... Regis Patoff is so left of center that I can't even see the center anymore. And that that is just how far off this character is from any kind of conceivable reality. So that is what we're dealing with, with Regis Patoff. I could tell you that much right now. So when somebody like that comes in, obviously it's a little bit bizarre for the employees that are already there, right? And that's the interesting part about this, is that you don't really focus on a lot of the employees in this company. They just kind of focus on a couple, and that's Elaine and Craig. And Elaine was kind of the the, assi- the the personal assistant for the previous for the previous boss. So she's got you know a little bit of a personal attachment there. And Craig, there's clearly some history there between the two of them. But he's one of the app developers. And he's one of the the coders in this in this company. So they they kind of start going on this fact finding mission, trying to figure out who this Regis Patoff guy is. You know who he thinks he is, basically. And they kind of get caught up. In some of the craziness that is Regis Patoff, because he is very calculated. He is very much a sociopath. There's no question about that. And some of the situations that Craig and Elaine get put in are quite unique, to say the least. And it just, there's times where I'm watching this and I'm going, how are they even going back to work? And that's the thing you're going to maybe struggle with, I think. When you're when you're watching this, because I know I did, because there are, there are certain instances where certain things happen in this show, and there were chances. I, I want to say there were chances for them to not go back. Okay, I, I can't tell you that for sure. And obviously, you know, when you're making money at a job, you can't necessarily quit your job just because, right? You, you can't necessarily do that. I get that, but at the same time, if circumstances are so bad 
at said job. Wouldn't you find a way to conceivably leave said job? Because I certainly would if it was really that terrible and the, and the boss was really that much of a psycho that I think I would. But you see them dig deeper and deeper and deeper into this. And you kind of start to try and figure out, you know, does Patoff know about this? Does he not know about this? And what's the end result of this going to be? And who, how is this going to affect everyone and everything around them? But those are really the three centralized characters in this story. There's the, Patty's a part of this as well, but not nearly as much as Craig Elaine and Regis Patoff are. And I got to tell you that the, especially Brittany O'Grady, who plays Elaine, when she has scenes with Christopher Waltz, there's this interesting tension between the two of them because Elaine's really the first one to kind of push back on Patoff. And he's clearly taken aback by that, but at the same time makes it seem like it doesn't phase him at all in the slightest. But watching those two have scenes together was one of the things that I did really enjoy about this show. But I will just say, by and large, this show is going to make you uncomfortable. There was times where I could feel myself adjusting in my chair and just certain things that now I'm not talking about like super like gory stuff or anything like that, but there's some stuff that happens in the show. You're like, whoa, either you're not going to see it coming or when you do, you're going to be like, I can't believe they actually went there and did that. And how crazy is it that these things are kind of happening all centered around an app based company? Now, are there some metaphors here that you're going to run into watching the show? I think there are. If you really want to look deep enough, there's a couple of metaphors that you, I don't, again, I don't want to spoil this for you. I want to kind of make up your own mind when you're watching this. I certainly don't want to reveal any plot details, but just watching how this thing unfolds, it might make you question a couple of things, but at the center of all of this is that Regis Patoff is a psycho. That's basically where you're at with that. And you're either going to enjoy that or it's going to make you too uncomfortable or it's just going to drive you nuts. One of the three. So, you're going to find out really early on, is my guess, whether or not you're going to enjoy watching The Consultant, which is now streaming on Prime Video. And you're sure as hell going to come out of it thinking, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stay working for that crazy dude. I can almost guarantee you that much. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Consultant from Prime Video. Up next, let's see if we can get into some nerd news. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Allison Araya from DC's Peacemaker, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy. Looks like we're headed back to Middle Earth. It's time for nerd news, and it's been announced by Warner Brothers Discovery, actually confirmed by The Hollywood Reporter, that more Lord of the Rings movies are going to be coming. Now, we know that we've already got Lord of the Rings War of Rohirrim, excuse me for mispronouncing that, that's going to be coming in 2024. I believe that's animated, though, if I'm checking back here. I'm pretty sure that's an animated movie, but that, that's all right. That's fine. It's, I have no problem when having a Lord of the Rings animated movie. The animated Hobbit movie years ago is one of my favorites to this day, so I'm really okay with that, more than okay with that. But this is part of a multi-year deal with Embracer Group AB, which actually owns the film rights. To Lord of the Rings, in case you didn't know that. So that's what's going to be happening here. They're going to be producing more movies. No no release dates or anything like that. But if Rohrim's not coming out until 2024, you can imagine it's going to be much further down the line than that. Now keep this in mind really quickly. There's already been technically six Lord of the Rings movies. You had the three Hobbit movies, and then you have the three core Lord of the Rings movies. So there's already been six. Okay, so now they're going to continue on with this story. Now... There's a couple of different ways you could go with this. You could go with prequels, which I'm sure they'll probably do. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Gandalf prequel 
at some point. You could go off book entirely and tell some prequel stories or maybe even some continuing stories if you wanted to. You could go that route. You could also go the Sumerian route. Now, excuse me for, again, mispronouncing that. I mispronounce that all the time, so don't come at me for that. But you could certainly go that route because it's kind of like an anthology of stories told in different styles from Tolkien and that is almost like a it's almost like you should read Lord of the Rings and then do that and then do Sumerian and then do Lord of the Rings again. You kind of get it more of appreciation in the entire world or something like that. So it's almost kind of like that's what they're doing. It seems like it almost seems like they're going to go the Sumerian route and then maybe tell some other stories mixed in between. Now, is that what they're going to do? I don't know. Is that the smart way to do? I'm not even sure that's the smart way to do it either. But I understand when you have something that's been so successful over the years and still has a very passionate fan base, why monetarily you'd want to capitalize on that. That's just the world that we live in. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that either. But there's, there comes a time where you're just telling stories just as a cash grab, just to tell them. I really hope that's not what's happening here. It's hard to know Warner Brothers Discovery's motives here because... They haven't exactly been the greatest motives from what it seems like so far in this new era. And that's just my opinion. That's not fact necessarily. That's just my opinion. So I I really hope that we're going to get good stories out of this. And I'm not saying nothing good's happened since Warner Brothers Brothers Discovery merged. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is is that I need proof that their heart's in the right place for fans. That's all I'm saying. And, and is that the case for... You could say that about a lot of different companies, by the way. That is not exclusive to Warner Brothers Discovery by any stretch of the imagination, okay? So I'm not saying it's just Warner Brothers Discovery at all. What I am saying is that fans have deserved better from a lot of franchises recently, and I really hope that if you're going to do this, you do it right and give something that the fans actually want. And I'm not talking about the casual fan who doesn't really know the world. I'm talking about Lord of the Rings fans who deserve to have these stories told the proper way. That's all I'm saying, and, and only time will tell if that's exactly what's going to happen here. This is a story that was really interesting a couple, from a couple days ago. Stephen Young, you know him, of course, from The Walking Dead. He's an Oscar-nominated actor. He's extremely popular. Of course, he's, he's in the Invincible series on Prime Video. Guess what? He's joining the MCU, finally. This reported by Deadline. He's going to have a major role, a significant role, excuse me, on Thunderbolts, which is going to be coming out, of course, July 26th of 2024 from Marvel Studios. Remember, we've already got Florence Pugh's going to bring Yelena back. We've got Bucky, the Winter Soldier from Sebastian Stan, who's supposedly the leader of the group. you got David Harbour as Red Guardian. You've got Julie Louis-Dreyfus, who's going to bring Valentina back to things. Wyatt Russell's going to be back as U.S. agent. And Hannah John... Cayman's going to be back as Ghost, and of course, Taskmaster going to be back as well. So that's your Thunderbolts team. So we can only assume that he's not, Steven's character's not going to be a part of this team, and that this could be a villain or antagonist, or however you want to approach who the object of this movie is going to be from this team. Now, there's some possibilities here, and I've seen Dr. Doom's name come up already. I don't think it's Dr. Doom because I'm not sure that you want to introduce Doom in a Thunderbolts movie. Now, the story does seem to suggest this is not a one-off role for Stephen Young, that he's actually going to be playing a character that's going to possibly, possibly recur in the MCU. So you've already got Kang. Do you really want to bring Dr. Doom in now and kind of muddy things up 
a little bit, especially before you're getting it. Now, I know that this is right around the time of when we're going to be doing Fantastic Four and all that stuff, so I'd almost rather see, because it would make more sense, I'd almost rather see Doctor Doom come in Fantastic Four than in Thunderbolts. But we, what we could see is Steven Yeun as Sentry. And now, if you don't know who Sentry is, it's basically he's basically could be considered the most powerful superhuman on Earth, by the way. He's, he's huge, and he was a beloved hero, but also, also found out that he had a dark side called the Void. So basically, he was kind of like his own worst enemy and had to figure out a way to either live with that or not. And I don't want to get too deep into the story here. Just to, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody later on down the line. If you want to look it up, I'll make that your choice. I'm not going to spoil it for you on my own. But this is certainly something that could be the object of the Thunderbolts, right? A hero that also has a dark side that could be seen as a threat that needs to be stopped. And who better to send in than a group of super villains who, you know, it's kind of like, a, again, kind of like a Suicide Squad type deal that, you know, you send them to do the dirty work sort of thing because this is a, this is a hybrid hero villain type role we're talking about here and Stephen Young could certainly play that role beautifully the only problem here is and I'm going to be that guy for a second just because I know somebody's going to say it so I'm going to get out ahead of it the only problem with this is that Sentry is huge like bulky big muscular yada 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 okay Stephen Young if you're not bro I know you're not in bad shape. I'm just going to put that out there right now. If you're not hitting the gym hard, hard, not going to be ready for this role (laughs) physically. Now, CGI does wonderful things, but I don't think Marvel really wants to go that route. And I know you could make the case that, you know, Zachary Levi certainly bulked up for Shazam. It it ended up, the final result ended up looking the part anyway. And you could also look at, you know, Chris Evans, and you could also look at Chris Hemsworth from years ago and so on and so forth. You could look at these actors that have certainly bulked up for roles like this. And I think Stephen Young could, could get there conceivably. And you know, he doesn't have to look, you know, like this mega muscular dude in order to play this role. Well, so I will say that right now. I just want, if he's the right guy for that part, then that's what it ends up being. Then I'm fine with that. Even if it doesn't look like this hulking, massive human being. Would Henry Cavill physically make more sense? Yes, because Henry Cavill's pretty much there already, and he's already got some experience in the Snyderverse playing this almost... I'm not even say, I'm not saying at all that Superman was, you know, part villain, part hero, but the way that his Superman was portrayed at times, you certainly saw that darker side. So I could see Henry Cavill playing the role of Sentry a little bit better. And it just just off the top of my head is Steven. You can make the argument who's the better actor. I'm not going to make that argument here today. All I'm saying is that Henry Cavill already looks the part, and it would almost make more sense to have him play that role. Steven Yeun, though, is a fantastic actor, and whatever role he's playing in Thunderbolts, I think is going to be great, and I'm glad that he's in the MCU. I'm just curious who it's going to be. No, could he be a good Doctor Doom? I, I think he absolutely could be. I think you could definitely go that route if you wanted to. So I wouldn't be upset either way. I'm just glad that he's here. And this Thunderbolts, Thunderbolts movie really shaping up to be something awesome. And could be a linchpin of the MCU going forward. And I, we talked about that. If you want to go back a couple of episodes to my discussion with my friends about the MCU and Marvel Studios. And that this is it almost seems like this is the movie that they're building up to. And that's what Manny said. They, they This might be the movie that they're building up to all along. So... 
Thunderbolt's clearly going to be a big deal coming up next year for Marvel Studios. If you're a comic book fan, you know the title, Something is Killing the Children from Boom Studios, of course, created by James Tyne IV and Werther de Aldera. And excuse me, Werther, for butchering your last name. I pre- I'm so sorry for that. But they are the creators of this comic book series, series from Boom Studios. And there's an adaptation that's been trying to get off the ground for this thing. I mean, this is a multiple Eisner Award-winning series. And it's already got a spin-off comic, House of Slaughter, based on the Slaughter family, that's from this series. But Netflix is finally going to do this thing. Going to be the home of the series. Going to be produced by the the creators of Dark in 1899, Baron Bo Albar and Jante Fries or Fries. Excuse me again for butchering names. That's just what I do on this show. If you ever want to correct me, by the way, please do. I want to be able to say it right in the future. But yes, they are finally going to have this adaptation. That's going to get off the ground. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, I don't know anything about this. Why should I care about it? Here's the gist of the story. First of all, the comic is great because I've read it, by the way. So children of Archer Peak, this the, the place where they live, they've been going missing. And it seems like there's no end to this. It seems like it's completely hopeless. Some of them never come back. And the ones that do, they have really just nasty stories about you know monsters and things like that that are kind of lurking in the shadows. You know, just kind of how you do. So... The only hope of finding and eliminating these monsters is a woman named Erica Slaughter, and she kills these monsters, and therein lies the story, and that's all I'm going to give you, because again, not going to spoil anything, but this is a story that has been one of the more popular comic book stories of the last couple of years. I believe it, what was it, two th- it was either late 2000s, I mean, late, late 2020 or early 2021 that this series debuted and it's just been off and running ever since and this is just one of those things that seems to fit perfectly on Netflix who kind of just does a very good job of telling these stories this by the way I think this was first reported by Deadline I got the I got the press release from Boom Studios so I want to make sure I give everybody credit where credit is due but I, I think that the only thing I'm worried about here is that Netflix gave up on 1899 pretty quickly that that's that's already been canceled as far as Dark is concerned, it, it certainly has a cult following, but not something I would necessarily say is, is huge. Now, are these great st- story to, are these great storytellers, great filmmakers? Absolutely. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy both projects. They were extremely dark and creepy, and that's what you need for an adaptation of Something is Killing the Children. I think they got the right team here. I'm just worried that if this is not a knockdown, just smash success right out of the gate, Netflix is going to go, eh, and, and, and drop it entirely. And plus, this is a project that's had a hard time adaptation-wise getting off the ground for whatever reason. That's not necessarily anybody's fault other than, you know, contracts and situations and things like that and having the right team. Now, I think they probably have the right team in place now. So, fingers crossed, this is something that gets off the ground. And, of course, casting is a major part of all of this. You've got to get the right people. You've got to get the right chemistry so that's that's there's a lot of things that have to work out in order for this thing to work. But something is killing children is coming to Netflix, and I'm definitely excited about that. Now let's talk about a couple of trailers for things that are going to be coming up. Well, in March anyway. I was going to say this month. It's not quite March yet. So the first one is Boston Strangler, the new movie adaptation from Hulu. And I know this section from 20th Century Studios is going to be airing on Hulu coming up on March the 17th. And Keira Knightley's in it. She plays Lorena McLaughlin and. Carrie Coon's in it, who plays Gene Cole, and they're the reporters 
It sort of broke this the Boston Strangler story back in the 60s, if you're not familiar with this, basically a true crime story. So if you're a true crime nut, this is right up your alley for sure. And they've done specials and movies about the Boston Strangler before. This one actually going to focus on these reporters who were just trying to report this story and trying to get the truth out there and trying to connect these murders that happened in the 60s. And yeah, of course, it was the 1960s. So there's going to be sexism involved here. If you're familiar with the Boston Strangler case at all, you know the police is handling of the case and things like that. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole with you right now, but I will say that I, th- I like the fact that we're taking a different approach to this movie. You can easily tell this movie about the strangler himself, who, by the way, spoiler alert, in case you're not familiar with the story of the Boston strangler, this is the one story I'll give you. David Desmalchin is going to be playing the strang- the, the man who ultimately went down for these crimes in the first place, Albert DeSalvo. So he's going to be, that, that character will be a part of this movie, but it looks like the main focus is going to be on the two reporters and again, not just Keira Knightley and, and Carrie Coon that are going to be part of this. Chris Cooper is going to be playing the editor at the paper that they, that they work for. And Chris Cooper, just, just an amazing actor as well. So top to bottom, definitely a good lineup of talent that are going to be a part of this thing. I'm just glad that they're taking a little bit of a different angle in doing this because you could argue, is this a story that needs to be told Again, not necessarily, but with true crime stuff being so popular right now and taking a little bit of a different angle at it, I think that this kind of makes sense to do, especially if that's something that you're into and this is a story that you're into. This is another piece of that that, you know, is an interesting story to be told. So I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm excited to see exactly how this is going to go. I'm sure I'll have a review of this coming up close to the release date, and that's The Boston Strangler, which is going to be on Hulu on March the 17th. A little bit later after that, a couple weeks after that, on March the 31st, you're going to see the premiere of The Power on Prime Video. The episodes are going to release weekly. And this series is kind of interesting because it follows, it's, it's based on the novel of the same name, by the way. And it's based on a story where teenage girls suddenly, and kind of just without warning, develop these sort of electric powers. And it's not just like electrocuting people. It's, it's electricity that's sort of flowing through their body. So it's sort of like an electro type situation, but you know how they get that power and all that stuff. Something that's going to be, you know, kind of brought out through the series. Actually, this I think actually the name of the novel series was Sister, not The Power. But I mean, e- either way, it, Naomi Alderman is the one is the author of the original book. So I want to make sure I get that out there as well. But you see the trailer about how, and this is a worldwide thing, by the way. This isn't a centralized thing that it's like okay, so we're in one location. And this is what's happening. No, this is happening. Like they've they've got stories coming out of Africa and Europe, and of course the United States, and how it affects each person in each location differently, and how it's responded to in each of those locations differently as well. Of course, you know there's you know there's people that want to research this ability. There's people who want to use these powers for good. There's people who want to use these powers for nefarious purposes and, you know, how this power can corrupt certain people and how this changes their outlook on their lives and other people's lives and things like that. So ultimately this goes deeper than these kids have powers now and let's see what they do with them. There's deeper aspects to this and almost trying to bring a real world element into this thing as well. And I like how it seems like from this trailer anyway, we're not just dealing with the powers and how they got them and all this other stuff, but we're dealing with the, okay, how does this impact the people in their lives and how they go about their lives now that these powers are here? And it seems like it's all teenage girls, by the way, all of them, 
not just a select bunch, all of them. So that also is kind of a little bit of a game changer as well. So this is this one's got some intrigue to it. I like the fact that we're getting something, again, with a little bit of a different angle on, hey, we've got powers, and it's not just your standard type story, and that is the power, which is going to be coming to Prime Video on March the 31st. They have a very young cast as well. John Leguizamo is a, a name that you'll recognize on this list from the cast, but a very young cast that hopefully will steal the show for this series coming up at the end of March. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I want to thank Richard Harmon for joining me to talk about Captain Boomerang. Make sure you're watching him every week, every Wednesday night on The Flash, the final season airing right now on The CW. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. And thank you so much. Over 1,000 followers on TikTok now. So if you're one of those, thank you so much. Going to be doing TikTok lives here coming up, having a lot of fun doing that as well. So that will be coming up here pretty soon. Make sure you're following on TikTok to find out when that's going to be. And all this all also online at downandnerdypodcast.com. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.